Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. the attraction for baseball I mean you're a fan as well aren't you yeah I'm kind of like going to national sport too you're kind of stuck with that yeah yeah. I mean you're sitting out in the sun all day yeah. drinking no oh yeah that's it yeah. it's, it's, it's a very... <laughs> it, just, it just seems painfully slow to me that's the it, it is a slow game It's uh, but once you kind of figure out like the way it works uh, mm. you kind of understand why people get caught up in the whole you know pitching versus batter ordeal and uh, you know the ceiling bases and all that uh, you know, it has its, its uh, the ultimate battle in sport, Dan. The pitcher versus the hitter. Yeah, never that's mind the, the head down. Yeah, never mind the striker man. versus goalkeeper nonsense. <laughs> no, no. Did you have one of those monstrous hot dogs? At the uh, my stadium? friends got one, one of the two foot ones, and between the two of them, they couldn't finish it. Really? Yeah. So not surprised. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's supposed to feed a family of four. But <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, you know two feet of hog basically. So. Yeah. Natalia, baseball, you uh, into it? Not really. I no. used to watch a bit of the North American League in Brazil, and at some point I could understand the game, but it was just too late in the evening to watch, so never stick with it. Fair enough. Sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's baseball. Welcome to the one, <laughs> the one baseball podcast. <laughs> no, welcome to the one football podcast. I'm Dan Burke, standing in for Ian McCourt today. I'm joined by Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hello. Podrick Whelan. Hello. And Natalia Araujo. <laughs> sort of got that right, didn't I? It's been a while since I I've know. said it. Ian actually. did better. Yeah, it? Ian was Ooh. practicing it. I think. Though, yeah, I'm out of practice. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, it's been a week of pretty epic semi-finals, packed full of action and incident. We're going to be talking about those. Um, we'll start by talking about the Women's World Cup semi-final, as uh, semi-finals. And where else could we start but that game between England and the United States in Lyon on Tuesday? Uh, USA, the holders of the World Cup, are of course in the final again after a two-one win. Was it a deserved victory? Do we think on the balance of play? Yeah, I thought so. Um, I thought the USA were mostly comfortable for a lot of the game. I was actually surprised England scored. The USA were mm. were on top for the first 15 minutes, got their early goal, like they seem to be doing in every game this tournament. I was quite surprised when England scored against the run of play. Even after that, I thought America still had the better of the first half. Second half, England came into it more so, but I don't think England can have too many complaints that USA were mm. better team on the night, quite simple as. Yeah, I mean, the other... Of course, England had a great chance to equalise in the 84th minute, though, when they got that yeah. penalty. Steph Houghton had a penalty saved. It was poor penalty, really. Do you think the nerves got to her, Natalia? Was that a- yeah, I think so. I think all the pressure of being a semi-final, of, of playing against the US, definitely hit her hard. Mm. And yeah, that penalty was really, really bad. I felt so sorry for her. Yeah, I mean, it's got wrench and it kind of boils down to that. Like, you've done a great game. I mean, US was a bit, you know, more dominant maybe, mm-hmm. but it was a really good match. I mean, England played fantastically. The goal was, yeah. goal was spectacular, the white goal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, kind of better picture duel again. Kind of. Yeah. I thought <laughs> yeah. Nikita Paris would have taken it only she's been a bit she's iffy a from the spot yeah, yeah, yeah. recently. So maybe that was, she just didn't mm-hmm. feel up to herself. And, Steph Houghton probably knew she just that didn't she hit it anywhere near hard enough yeah. did she it was just a very soft yeah. penalty uh, yeah. probably caught in two minds as she was running up um, the penalty was given after a long VAR delay the referee seems to have taken eternity to look at it do you think it was a penalty that one? 
Well, it's, it kind of boils down to the whole, like everything regarding VAR in the FIFA World Cup, Copa America, and everywhere. It was just, you know, very technical, arbitrary decisions that have been made here and there in nitpicking sometimes. I think this is one of those cases that's just going to be, you know, anger a lot of people regardless, because some would feel cheated out one way or another. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I think it was fair enough. I mean, it was a little, you know, you scrape on the on the back of the mm. shin, wasn't it? So yeah. Oh, I didn't think so. I thought that was as soft as it got. Mm. And each, it, it seemed to me that every angle that it showed on the screen it showed that there hadn't been contact and then I think there might have been one that showed maybe there was a slight bit are we giving penalties for that now yeah I agree with Padraig I think it was a very harsh decision Mm. and from some angles I couldn't even see yeah Yeah, that's it and that got that penalty's never been given without VAR is it so by definition a clear and wrong Uh, decision has not been made there has it so but yeah they missed it anyway so I guess you could say justice was done Um, there was another big VAR call in this game well it wasn't a big VAR call necessarily but it was um, a pretty clear offside for that Ellen White goal that was disallowed um, it's one of those decisions that sort of generated a bit more um, debate about the offside rule in general. Do you think the offside rule is fair in its current form? That, you know, she's basically been flagged offside because her foot was her in the finger offside was position. Ahead, yeah. Or, yeah, it's, yeah, It's boiled down to that. We've had incidents, again, like over and over again in the World Cup where, you know, it's very technical, arbitrary and like very, you know, stick to, stick to, the, uh, to the rule kind of, uh, mm-hmm. to the book kind of rule. Um, and uh, I mean, definitely the rule they've tampered it with enough lately to you know just bring the whole debate back to life. I think they're still kind of figuring it out how to make it a bit more technical and precise. But you know, it needed work. The offside rule needed work. We've even discussed this before. But mm. uh, I hate talking about VAR, but we just have to every week. Yeah, we? basically, it's, 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 yeah, it's the the talking that's what it's point. Yeah. Yeah. It's become a talking point because yeah. all games or big games are getting mm. affected by it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Rory Smith tweeted after the game he said the technology works the rule is ridiculous in fact better still the technology works so well that it's highlighted just how rule how ridiculous the rule is how do we fix it if if it's so ridiculous what is the you know people talk about daylight between players is that a thing that we should start looking at yeah maybe making it clearly like okay the tip of the foot does not count as an Mm. offside because it's ridiculous that it does but then where do you draw the line what where, where do you draw the exactly, line exactly that's <laughs> the that's that's the thing i and i don't know if there's much to do about the rule but maybe now the focus should be improving the use of var mm. to take a look at at things like that and try to make the, a fair decision but the rule itself i don't know if there's much that can change yeah I think so I don't know if there's a lot that you actually can do with it and there's nothing that springs to my mind like off the top of my own head that I'd think that is the surefire fix for it either mm. It's. do you think we're becoming just a bit too obsessed with rules applying the rules like in every single scenario on one side, yes. On the other side, you kind of have to because that's the whole point of having rules. Like you have to apply them all the time; otherwise, mm-hmm. they're not a rule; they're a you know option. Um, but the thing is that if you improve the VAR substantially, like bring it to like NFL standard, NHL standards, like where it's actually really quick mm-hmm. to consult and it takes you know twenty five seconds, thirty seconds tops, the you know the whole momentum is not lost when you're standing there idle on the pitch for three minutes waiting for this guy to look at his screen and you know yell something you're definitely gonna be mad at. You mm-hmm. know, it kind of ruins the whole vibe for everybody. So of course, once the dude does this thing, the little single thing, and goes over there, they're like, ah, of course you're gonna. And uh, I don't know, it's uh, it's the sort of case where I think that speeding things up would make a huge difference to the way we react to VAR mm-hmm. because the ball will be rolling again a lot 
lot quicker. So, you know, it's not that much more impact. We don't feel three minutes have been lost. So, you know, three more minutes at a time kind of attitude people kind of get towards that, right? Mm -hmm. Also, so, yeah, please. Sorry. I, I think it's really important to show the fans what's going on because yeah. I've been in the stadium and when they're using VAR and we don't have a clue of what mm -hmm. they're checking because in the big screen they say they just show that VAR logo mm -hmm. and they don't don't really show oh they're attacking if it was a penalty they're, they're attacking if it was checking if it was an offside so when you are in the stadium you don't really know what's going on and this is really really frustrating mm -hmm. so yeah I think we have to be patient because it's something really new in football and uh, of course it would take a while to get to an NFL level but I think it's the right way. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I've seen a lot, you know, some people saying that human error is part of football and we shouldn't be so robotic about these things. Is human error part of football or is that, I think yeah. that's nonsense. Yeah, what yeah. do you want, guys? <laughs> your, your officials making mistakes. Yeah. I mean, surely they're there to get it right and the best of the best get it right more often mm -hmm. than not they get the bigger games so on yeah I, I don't quite subscribe to that <laughs> one either corruption is part of human error too technically <laughs> yeah. just leave you know government politicians yeah to be, right, right, yeah, that's right. thing <laughs> Uh, going back to the football, finally, uh, the game's winning goal came uh, ultimately from Alex Morgan in the first half. Um, she celebrated with that marvellous tea-sipping celebration. Gulp. A little, well, uh, to me, I, I thought at first she was actually doing um, Eric Bristol, you know, the way he used to throw the dart with <laughs> yeah. the, the pinky. I'd be surprised if Alex Morgan knows who Eric Bristol is. Well, I you thought, thought she was smoking? I no, thought she was smoking. That was very fun <laughs> to put it away, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's been a theme with the celebration, hasn't there? Like, mm. like a lot of people gave uh, the US slack with a you know celebrating that we celebrated at the, at the Thailand game like the 9 0. Mm. They were still like backflipping, so 13 0. I think you'll find I know, yeah, but by the ninth goal, they were oh, still okay. backflipping, is what I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to say. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a bit on the nose, but you know, flaunt at it, guys, if you have it. So. I mean, there's been a bit of talk after this game that the US were perhaps a little bit disrespectful in their celebration. Is well, that, is... Were you like, as an Englishman, were you? Upset by it in well, any way. I, w I watched this game in a bar, um, and I'm not a patriotic Englishman, as I think I've said on the podcast yeah. before, particularly. Um, but I was watching this surrounded by Americans, and that made me a little bit patriotic. <laughs> to be honest, when they were chatting, they you USA, you USA. <laughs> and singing Banana Rama when she got sent off at the end there and stuff. Yeah, and man. yeah I just thought to myself, I'm so glad that we don't have to play America at sport very often, because <laughs> <laughs> it would pr probably get you're a bit nasty. You're really glad, you're lucky you missed the baseball. That's all I'll say. Yeah. You're lucky you weren't in London. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was there a lot of? Uh, no, there was quite a lot. There yeah, was uh, one point where was it one guy shouted at an English person, "We kicked your ass in 1776, and my God, we'll do it oh, again!" I was like, wow! Whoa! This is a very, very personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. They love their sport. He was there in 1776. Yeah. Alex Morgan explained in the celebration said, "I feel like we didn't take an easy route through this tournament, and that's the tea." Uh, Piers Morgan was particularly incensed, and he said, "That's not how you sip tea." I never thought I'd say this, but I agree with Piers. It's not, is it? That was it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another little sort of subplot to this game that was interesting. Thirteenth um, of October, two thousand seventeen, Phil Neville tweeted, "Hillary, you lost. Move on." After the game on Tuesday, Hillary Clinton tweeted, "Congrats to the U.S. Women's National Team for earning that tea." Oh, so nice. she finally got her own back two years later. Come back, Hillary. Look at that. <laughs> she didn't forget it. The Hillary Clinton v. Yeah. Phil Neville, the rivalry we didn't yeah. really need. That's the, the, that's the most random, you know, feud, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Hillary Clinton and Phil Neville. The most, how, how the most random crossover ever. Yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking of? <laughs> Uh, Kristen Press scored the first goal of the game for the US. I thought she was the best player on the pitch um, on the night, actually. 
Um, interesting, she probably wouldn't have played if Megan Rapinoe had been fit. Yeah. Do you think she's going to start in the final now, Press? Um, I don't. If Rapinoe is fit, I don't think there's yeah. room for her. Like you wouldn't sit mm. down, you know, Neymar for Godinho, would you? I mean, like she's really good. Don't mm. get me wrong. Like she deserves to be in starting eleven in any other national squad, arguably. But you know, who's she benching? I mean, that's a big question. Mm. And I don't, I don't see her. If Rabbit is 100, she's she's playing. There's no going around it. Yeah. Um, there was also talk that perhaps Rapino might have even been fit enough to play against England, but they were saving her for the final. Dossifying, yeah. Is that a little bit arrogant on their part? I'm not trying to. It's sort a bit of... cocky, but you know, <laughs> it's very very cocky to like, oh no, you'll bench him. We'll be there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very. But no, then again, like they've do- not that dominated, but they've had really really good tournaments so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played a, a great game regardless that the Rabino was not on the pitch, so you could see that you could understand why they wouldn't maybe want to risk someone when they thought they had everything under control. Had you know the game not been two one by halftime, maybe they would have simply just you know play Rabino. And have her to the 2-1 mm-hmm. and that was it but you know I think it was just dosifying knowing they could dosify knowing she was still available if necessary mm-hmm. so I think it was a bit of, of strategy more than anything yeah. Yeah. well if you can afford to do it then England were dealt a bit of an injury blow before this game uh, goalkeeper Karen Bardsley got injured Carly Telford played instead do you think Telford could have done a bit better with the two goals Natalia um, maybe but it's not like she made a mistake there no so yeah, I think it's just part of the game. Well, it brings me on to my next question. There's been a bit of debate about the size of goals in women's football and whether they should be reduced to make it a little bit easier for you know women goalkeepers. Do you, where, where do you stand on that one? Uh, actually, this week I read an article a friend of mine wrote uh, talking about that topic, and she talked with players, trainers, specialists involved in that, and they all said that no, the goal should not be smaller, but it should be invested more in training mm-hmm. so the goalkeepers can have a better position uh, they can um, have a better tactics better techniques to cover all the spaces in the goal and uh, they talked to um, to Pati Nardis is the goalkeeper of Santos mm-hmm. women's team in Brazil and she said that she only had a goalkeeper trainer for the first time when she was around 26, 27 mm-hmm. while men's have when they are around That's 11, crazy, 12 yeah. so there is a huge gap in the training and yeah I agree with wh- what they said it's not just let's make the goal smaller let's invest mm-hmm. in the in the sport investing better trainings and everything yeah. before thinking about changing Goals or size of the pitch or I don't know the weight of the ball and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I think it was Chelsea women's coach Emma Hayes. She was sort of in favour of of the idea of making the goal smaller. But I've seen other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. th- there's not many women goalkeepers that are that much shorter than no, you know their yeah. male counterparts. It's only I, th- I can only think of the Thailand goalkeeper at this <laughs> tournament. I have seen really other like with the size goalkeepers the in England saying. Saying that they agreed with Emma Hayes that maybe it's something they should look at, but like Natalia said, there's obviously other goalkeepers in Brazil who mm. disagree. So it's not as if it's a like a black and white issue across the whole game. I mm-hmm. suppose there's some who maybe feel that it could be something worth looking at. But Natalia's probably right. If investment is made at improving the training, like the fact that teams didn't or players didn't have a goalkeeping coach mm-hmm. until so late in their career that's that's amazing yeah. 
Uh, Phil Neville's coming for a bit of criticism for his tactics in this game, um, not just criticism from Hillary Clinton by the sounds of things. Um, one of the, the, the big things was he moved Nikita Paris from the out on the wing into the number 10 role. Why, why do you think he did that? Yeah, sort of well, that was the game yeah that, that's ex- pretty much what I thought it was. He was just completely overthinking she'd it. She really quiet Paris, wasn't she? Yeah, and compare that to how she'd played like against Norway or in previous games. She, mm. She'd been really lively out in the wing. It was... It was a stranger. I don't know if he was just trying to stifle the USA by having maybe players that are working harder defensively out wide, but I think pretty much what you just said, I think it was just a case of overthinking it, that he didn't need to do it. And when he went back to <coughs> excuse me, the system that had worked so well in previous games in the second half, England did look better, did mm-hmm. threaten a lot more. So it just showed that if he'd have just had faith in what they'd been doing all along instead of worrying about the USA so much it may have worked better but he was obviously worrying about the USA even before the game mm. there was that stuff again about the, the hotel, hotel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just a strange thing like to get upset about isn't it so. <laughs> but did I, the story there was that the, there were sort of representatives from the US team at the hotel but not spying on the team they were no, there they just were to sort of look at the hotel for the final. again it's sort yeah. of a bit like I, I think they were just they just got into England's heads yeah, didn't they with all yeah, this stuff exactly. like, yeah. it's very coincidental like, yeah, yeah, so they're here we, we might stay here if we yeah. get to the final we're yeah. going to need this on Sunday yeah 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 <laughs> what, what, what are the showers are, like what yeah, yeah. yeah what's room service like how's the breakfast Neville said after the game that the US are the standard bearers of women's football at the moment but that England will catch up to them do you think that's going to happen fairly soon they don't, they're don't. they not too far away are they I don't think England that game showed that they're, they're getting closer to that top level I think we debated a bit about that in some previous podcasts and Louis even mentioned it's something that I really agree that the football women's football in Europe, in Europe has developed a lot in the in the last few years and uh, in Brazil also we struggle a bit but things are definitely getting better we now have a better league I mean not (laughs) the best thing we could have Mm. but it's definitely going somewhere and I do believe that at some point the gap between the US and uh, all the other uh, women's national teams will be way way smaller Mm -hmm. Ah, well, in the other semi-final, um, wasn't quite as exciting, but the Netherlands will meet the US uh, in the final on Sunday after a 1-0 win over Sweden after extra time. Um, there's a, perhaps a little bit of a, a danger that this could be a bit of a one-sided affair. I mean, the Dutch are the European champions, but... First final, so... First, first World thing, Cup final, yeah. yeah. I don't exactly. think they're quite on the same level uh, as the US. Do you think it's going to be... It's a very different kind of approach. Like, it's a lot more... It was kind of like what we saw with the Netherlands against Sweden, where it's one team that's definitely going to be a lot more on the defensive side mm-hmm. and one that's just going to be, you know, balls out, like, going straight for attack the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to have that feeling, but I think they can hold the ground, definitely. I don't think it's just going to be, like, you know, 3-0, you know, they're going to r- route them out. Uh, obviously, they're going to have an upper hand, having the team that they have, um, and you know the momentum they've built and the whole you know attitude they bring along with it. Of course, that, that's intimidating to meet up against in any phase, particularly the last game of the tournament, right? But uh, I don't know. I don't see it as lopsided as 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 you would expect. Maybe. Yeah, Daniel Van der Donk, great name by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said. I don't think I, I don't think they think we're that good. I think that could be an advantage for us. Could you see that being the case? Yeah, they might that, catch them a bit cold. Probably this, right. Because, this American arrogance yeah, might come back to yeah, this American uh, asshole kind of vibe thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I do think that they, they can. The, the only problem is that I think oh, the Netherlands have a few bad injuries. Like Lika Martins, I think is she's been struggling the whole knockout mm-hmm. phase. 
Um, Van der Sanden's not been at her best. She was even dropped for the semi-final. So the players they kind of would have hoped could have hurt the USA are probably coming into the final not in the best form. So maybe the game just isn't coming at the right time. But of all the teams that made it through, the Dutch have been one of the better ones, I think, defensively. Mm. And America aren't, like, you know, they're not unstoppable Mm. or they're not invincible at the back by any means. Spain, Spain had, like, the USA on the ropes a few times and their goal just came from a bad USA Mm. mistake, just from pressing them high. So if they can kind of replicate what Spain did to cause them problems, I I could see them, them hurting them. It's just the one or two players off form and, and injuries that mm. would have me a little bit worried for the Dutch. Do you think Vivian Medina could be the, the match winner for them? Well, she tends to get better in big games, so yeah, I think if she steps up, then definitely she's mm. going to be a key player a for tournament. Netherlands. Yeah. Um, we've still got two games to go, including the third-place playoff of the Women's World Cup. Uh, but who would you say has been your player of the tournament so far? I think I would go with Rapno. Uh, but I really like what Zara Tebritz did with Germany mm. too. Uh, I mean, it's a shame that they didn't go further in the tournament, but she was doing so well. But considering that the US reached the final, I think Rapinoe would be my choice. Mm-hmm. Danny? Yeah, probably Rapinoe. It's not only the fact that you know she's a great player and she's effective up front she's also like a key decision maker like you see her make certain moves that you wouldn't expect her in a position to make and then you understand what she is doing because she does it and it's mm-hmm. fantastic uh, I think she's really really influential not only scoring but also like building up the game and I think yeah. very few players be it male or female are as decisive or key as you know she can be for the United States like upping, upping up the ante or that sort of thing and mm-hmm. I don't know to up the ante and sort of a team that big with big names such as you know like you know, Morgan's there like she's not yeah. you know Kids play, is she? And she controls that quite well, I think. So, yeah, having said that, Jakobsen, the, the Swedish striker, was amazing. Like, she had a great tournament. Even against the Netherlands, she could have won that game easily 4 1 had she scored all her goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of good figures, so you can, you can definitely then pick from each team. But I think Rapino is maybe a teapot above. <laughs> 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 uh, I think Rose Lavelle's been really good for the USA. I think, like, she kind of makes them tick, and it's like Rapino and Alex Morgan kind of get the plaudits but mm. like Morgan's got what, six goals but did five of them five I think came in the Thailand yeah. game and I know she came up big in the semi-final and she has played well but I just think Rose Lavelle kind of makes it all tick I thought mm. Dabritz as well Natalia and Lucy Bronze has been oh yeah she's fantastic she's had an amazing yeah. tournament so yeah uh, the England-USA game was watched by 11.7 million viewers in the UK. Uh, the other semi-final had a 78.5% share of the TV audience in the Netherlands. Have you been surprised by how well this tournament's been received around the world? Not really. Like, Well, I remember I was living in Germany back when the 2011 World Cup came around. It was the first one that had more sold-out games than non-sold-out games, and then kind of like the momentum began. Then the next one had like amazing games and like really cemented the condition of like the U.S. dominance and female sport, and the whole debate kind of began. This was just a confirmation that it's a great thing to watch generally, uh, and people are responding to it. TV viewers are tuning in. Uh, league-wise, you also had a lot of breakthroughs here. Spain had like three record-breaking numbers. Juventus sold out uh, Allianz Stadium for the first time ever. Like, it's definitely caught on a long time ago. It's just now becoming more and more massive. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens? What needs to happen is the Champions League have and finally like a you know break up with the whole hegemony of you know Olympique Lyon, Wolfsburg, the yeah. two three teams that have dominated the, the contest throughout 
its history, basically. But mm. other than that, I think we're well already in the, it's already in the autopilot phase. Like it's, people like the sport and they're enjoying it a lot. Mm-hmm. You think this could be the catalyst for like a real leap forward for the women's game? And I think so. I, I hope it doesn't really stay there. It has been really fun and nice to see people talking about the Women's World Cup on social media, mm-hmm. people getting together to watch the games. It's it's really, really nice. And I, and I really hope it doesn't just stay there, like that people try to watch uh, games, like league games of the teams. Mm-hmm. I know it's not easy to because it's not as popular as men's football. The scheduling's a bit of a problem as well because mm. it's, they're often have games on the same day as the exactly. men's teams and stuff like that. Yeah, and people don't have to make so a last choice, season, West Ham had a, was it their semi-final or the cup final in the FA Cup and it was on at the same time as, as the like men's that, team it? were yeah, playing, yeah. which just doesn't help situations sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've spoken to people back home in the UK who said, you know, there's, the pubs have been full of people watching mm, yeah, England yeah. This, this summer and it's like, That's yeah, super it's really cool. nice. it would have been unthinkable like, you know, a few years ago. So True, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're moving away from the Women's World Cup and moving to the Copa America. We had two excellent semi-finals in that this week. Uh, Brazil are through to the final thanks to a 2-0 win over Argentina. Um, what was the game like for those of us who didn't stay up till four o'clock in the morning to, to watch it? <laughs> well, um, did you stay up until four o'clock in the morning? I did, I did watch the whole wow. thing. Wow! Yeah. Um, Can you tell he still says? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the whole Cup of America vibe. Like you're destroyed after the whole tournament, just happy things over. <laughs> now I'm kidding. Uh, it, the game was it was enthralling. You expected to be. Argentina had a really good share of chances. It was Brazil's game, basically. Like mm-hmm. they dominated. They were playing the better football by a mile. Both goals were spectacular. Like one like one off kind of uh, situations where Gabriel Jesus was key. But mm-hmm. other than that, like the game was very, very fluid in Brazil. You could tell they've been like ticking clockwork for the past couple of matches. Uh, Argentina, they were surprisingly better. I think the whole qualify, like making it this far, the whole beating Venezuela 2-0 kind of like cleared some air, gave Scaloni a bit more uh, idea what to do. Benching Lautaro was dumb, but any, mm-hmm. any book, but you know, he did have a reason for the yellow cards. So he was trying to like wrap annoying his way in the sense of like, oh, you know, preserve yeah. him for the so, final. We got yeah, this. Yeah. He played the Maria, played, a good, played an okay game. Um, but yeah, having said all that, it was a very controversial game regarding referees. Uh, and there's a lot of footage and there's a lot of anger in the, in the Argentina mm-hmm. camp because you see a couple of things and uh, that would have been a red card, I swear. I mean, it's complicated. And that's sort of kind of become sort of like the theme with the cup. That I, saw, I saw a clip of, um, did Dani Alva sort of take Aguero down off the ball? Uh, he got, he got elbowed to the face twice in the game, actually. Yeah. Aguero. Uh, then there was a step on Messi's uh, back heel, I think. Right with Di Maria, I remember it was there were like three or four places you would say like, I don't know that was that was very you know provocative. The like, penalty mm. also. The penalty, yeah. That I think it was a penalty. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's the I don't know it did leave you do understand why you know AFA the Argentina FA is uh, asking you know Gomez for the audios for the between the referees. Right. Okay. Like they're, they're bringing up that up like there should be more. Is the talk of a conspiracy or something? Well, yeah. there's always a talk of a conspiracy. <laughs> But the thing is, the Brazilians say it's against them. Argentinians say it's against them. So conspiracies can't work both ways. Can they, they? Uh, <laughs> I saw a lot of, I don't know if it came from players, the federation, or I don't know, that common ball is controlled by Brazil. Oh. And this is so not true. You can, <laughs> see, very, it. Yeah. You can see from Libertadores <laughs> that, that it's so not true. But then you go to, to Brazilians think the same way. That's the thing. Like They both think it's uh, no, it's them screwing us over. And it's probably like Uruguay like like handling everything, yeah. very dodgy yeah. in the back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they're really, really pissed at everything. Like Messi, 
he's not known for ranting at press conference, especially not after matches like mm-hmm. Livingstone. He's not known for talking. Yeah, yeah. No exactly. Like he's ranting, barely a speaker. Yeah. The guy mumbles yeah. if anything. And here he goes, just look. They're calling like he's saying boludeces, which is like the Argentinian way of saying just bullshit decisions, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for him to like be that worked up, def- something definitely would have happened. I mean, they're theatrical. Don't get me wrong, but uh, not that much. Like mm-hmm. they definitely have a case here to, to you know, cry wolf. I think. Yeah. Well, speaking of Messi, he always seems to take the brunt of the blame when Argentina flunk in international tournaments. Was it fair on this occasion? It wasn't a great tournament from him, was it? No, but I mean, did he play well against Brazil? Or he played okay against Brazil. I mean, he can only play. You can only be as influential as your team allows you to be. And if you're playing with players that are not fully there, Argentina did play better than usual. I'll give them that. But it's definitely not the same. Messi. Mm-hmm. He single-handedly carried them to the 2014 World Cup final, the 2015 uh, Copa America final, 2016 Copa America final. Like, he does the whole work. He can't be 120% every single game, especially, like, when he's played 300 matches in five years, you know? Mm. The guy has to, you know, dosify a little bit if he doesn't want to break. So, I don't know, it's always been, so like, a very... Uh, irritating thing to say, like, oh, it's this guy's you know, fault. Unless he was like blatantly missed a goal kick or a penalty shot or fumbled the ball, and mm-hmm. then Argentina scores to an L, and then it's your fault. Uh, fine, but you know, um, other than that, I don't see how Messi could have he what dri- dribble against six players on his own and score an amazing goal. Yeah, sure, but why didn't Di Maria do that? Why didn't Lautaro do that? I mean, it's a, a bit of overthinking and over asking of, of, of players. Those players aren't considered the greatest of all time, are they? So that's why everybody's Granted, sort of, yeah, I guess, yeah. but you know, you can't make miracles every single day, can you? No. I mean, it's, yeah, but I it's think uh, he should step up more in terms of making the team play better, like making the players interested in, in the game. But I think himself is not really interested. Okay. Like, Kind of like a shy captain kind of thing. He should be allowed yeah, or more. Yeah, kind of. But but I but I think not only Messi but all the players in Argentina, especially the top ones as Aguero, Di Maria, they just don't feel the same responsibility mm, yeah. they feel when they That's play for their teams. Yeah. And I think that has some influence on the pitch, and I think that's where Messi should step up. But when himself doesn't feel like very responsible for the national team, then yeah, it's. I guess. Is that it for his international career now? Do you think he'll retire? Well, there's still the qualifiers, which in Latin America are a lot larger than uh, mm-hmm. than the Copa America because it's basically like a free-for-all. Right? Yeah. So he's probably going to stick around as long as he can and, and help as much as he can. Will he make the World Cup? It basically depends on what happens uh, as of next year. How old is he now? 32? 32, 33 thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. Was his birthday already this year? I don't know. Um, but thereabouts, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Scaloni's staying till the end of the year. I think that's going to be the big decision. Like, who's going to be the, the, the next coach? Mm-hmm. If he continues, he obviously isn't going to stay that long, I think. Uh, if they bring in someone he dislikes, I don't think... Because that's the thing now. Like, what are you going to do? Like, actually get, like, a, you know, Beckerman, like, a project builder or go someone, you know, Messi actually likes and have, have him, like, have veto power over Argentina. Well, they did that with Sampoli, didn't they? He well, just I mean, worshipped Messi, thought Messi was the best thing ever, and... That didn't work out so well either. So, so yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. do you want to repeat the same mistake you already yeah. made once, or you want something a bit more project building? I mean, they're, they're bringing up a lot of the players through the ranks. We were talking about that the other day. Like, Paul uh, Aguilar is already coaching there. Batista's still there. Walter Samuel is also part of the, of the coaching staff. Diego Michelis just started working as a coach at Bayern Munich. Like, there's a lot of Argentinian coaches out mm-hmm. there like former players that are starting to build up this generation that you know should go around into you know having finally the the, the successors to 
to an actual training staff, which they haven't had for a mm -hmm. while. Beckerman left and uh, and Tata Martino left and no one has ever, ever been as decent as they have. Mm -hmm. I mean, so no, it's, it's, it's bad decision making and false, I don't know, I think, reasons behind the decisions like pleasing Messi is definitely mm -hmm. one of them and I think it's a huge mistake. Tell you who else has done some coaching in recent years. Diego. Oh, Diguito. Get him back. Yeah. Get him back. Another 4-0 in the World Cup and he'll love it. Uh, I mean, Messi is rapidly running out of chances to win something at international level. Maybe he already has run out of chances. Does that sort of taint his career a little bit, do you think, if he if he finishes having no. not led Argentina to glory? No, not for me. Like, I won't. Personally, I won't look back. Cristiano Ronaldo's won 40 years so. from now, yeah. Go. Well, Ronaldo dragged Portugal to Euro 2016 yeah. and the Nations League. Well, he went off after 20 minutes in the final. That's true, yeah. but, but then he coached <laughs> on the sidelines for the rest of the game, didn't he? True, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I won't look back and go, yeah, if only he'd done it for Argentina. Because like Danny said, he's dragged them to finals almost single-handedly. And mm. OK, they haven't maybe got over the line, but... Yeah. Cup finals are hard games to win, aren't mm -hmm. they? And he can't do it all himself. It's not for me, not at all. Yeah. I don't know if Danielle agrees with me, but I think in South America, people are way more connected to the national teams than here in Europe. At least yeah. it's something that I could see. And I don't think people say, yeah, Messi ruined his career by not winning anything international, but it would definitely be a talk point. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, remember Messi? Yeah, he won everything mm -hmm. yeah. with Barca, but. Not even a World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Maradona did win. Maradona won it. Yeah, yeah. So, they yeah. would bring that up. Yeah, so. I would think it would definitely be a talking point mm. yeah. in the future. Yeah. In the future, from a South America point of view, like same thing with Neymar. Like Messi's if only Messi was <laughs> Scottish <laughs> or English, Dan, we, <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't worry about that. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Would yeah. We? yeah. <laughs> well, we've won a World Cup, so don't don't drag us down to your level. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Is it fair to say the star of this game was Gabriel Jesus? I Goal disagree. and an assist. Who would you say? I think it's Daniel Alves. Well, yeah, he did steal the show with that. He has Dude. been the best Amazing. player for Brazil in the whole tournament. Of course, Gabriel Jesus was a bit remarkable considering his past performance with the national team. Yeah. But I wouldn't say he was a star. I would definitely go with Daniel Alves. He's just so good. I mean, the dude is like 30, he's like five years older than I am, and mm. he's just destroying professional football teams. And he's a free agent now, isn't he? And he's, he's a free agent PhD, now. So, Amazing yeah, dude. Like, still make a decent signing for someone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, yeah, arguably. <laughs> Anyone would love to have someone like him on the team, mm. uh, even at his age. I mean, that hasn't changed a single thing. If anything, it's been <laughs> better. Um, but yeah, I think it would be, Daniel Alves is definitely up there. Gabriel Jesus has, has had his obvious share in, in this. Firmino's season, uh, Copa America has been great. The match was not a bad one either. And well, Allison's just been amazing mm -hmm. throughout the whole tournament like he's been such a good guarantee and like a huge motivator from the back like you can tell like well going to the point of with Messi and the attitude Allison has that from the back it's very mm -hmm. Oliver Kahn kind of you know like you know hurrah forward and just he's a very un-Brazilian goalkeeper I think isn't he like Brazil usually have sort of comedy goalkeepers like <laughs> yeah. Dida and people yeah. like that thinking, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it was funny because when he started to play for the national team people were really mad like oh he's not national team material etc but I think after he moved to Liverpool of course he developed himself but now people can actually watch him mm -hmm. I mean in Brazil Liverpool is way more popular than Roma mm -hmm. I think it's like that everywhere <laughs> not yeah. only Brazil but now that people can actually see him playing uh, they can see that he's definitely a national team material and I think he that gave him a lot of confidence mm -hmm. so yeah I totally agree with Daniel he has been one of the 
main players in the national team in the yeah. past years. And if he gets injured or has a dip in form, they've got Edison to call on as well, which is an yeah, embarrassment yeah. of riches for goalkeepers. It's amazing, yeah. I do want to talk about Jesus a little bit, though. How is he viewed in, in Brazil? Well, his, his time at City has been a little bit disappointing, I would say. Yeah, right now in Brazil, he's just... A, jo- a joke topic so uh, there was like after the game we were saying that um, he got subbed because he wasn't doing his part on the pitch which was not scoring goals oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah by the way I'll just throw this at you he's got 17 goals in 34 games for Brazil <laughs> he averages a goal every 124 minutes for City so he does score and he's, he's like he'd probably, he'd probably start for any other Premier League team regularly as oh, well definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like he's, I think he's amazing no, I think he he still has a lot of time. He still can be a great player. It's up to him to take up the chances he gets at Man City, or maybe I don't know. Considering a move to to another club, mm-hmm. I think it would be nice so he can get some playing time. So yeah, he's send him alone to Celtic. Please. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, Bayern are actually kind of looking for a guy. You've been kind enough Bayern for Bayern are kind of looking for any type of players. We're so. looking for players. <laughs> if so we're if a player you, you need, and you're listening apply. to we this. Need, we, need, we, need, we need boots on the ground more than anything. <laughs> I think we have Price 14 players yeah, right now besides goalkeepers. So if we're a player and you're listening to the podcast, come talk to us. <laughs> well, them, yeah. I remember when Jesus joined City from Palmeiras and there was talk of him being the new Ronaldo. I don't think that's going to happen, is it? I mean, no. he's still only 22, but he's not that good, is he? He's no. never going to be that good. No, being the new Ronaldo is just too far. He can still be a the great player. Adriano or something. Maybe. <laughs> I hope not, because Adriano's career at the end was a bit weird. But, yeah, he can still be a great player, but definitely not the new Ronaldo. It's too much. <laughs> uh, am I the only one who was expecting a Brazil-Chile final on Sunday? Nope. No, I think it, a lot of It wasn't of a, a huge shock, that. It was for me, but... Well, it was a big... Peru I mean, yeah, you were expecting yeah. Chile to win, to be Peru any day of the week, obviously, but... Uh, but, yeah, then you see the narrative and you see what Peru's kind of been doing after the, the thrashing they received in the, fir- in the end of the first group... Uh, of the group stage, sorry. Um... And I like something clicked there. There was like, okay, they want they want business. We'll give them business, mm-hmm. and that's basically what they've been doing ever since the first game, the quarterfinals. They were, uh, I mean, struggling to find the whole thing, but the team ended up like being decent. Like they didn't concede in the end, did they? Uh, and against Chile, that was just proving that they can be efficient of anything. So mm-hmm. they might not play the most stylish football, but with I don't know, Yossi Mariotun with Guerrero, with they have enough players in the ranks to like inflict some serious damage if they feel like it. Mm-hmm. They just have to believe in themselves. It sounds cliche, but if they saw that against Chile, like, we can actually do this. And by the second goal, they were just running them amok. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chile had a lot to do with the defeat, but Peru is is definitely a, a well, they earned it. I mean, 3-0, it doesn't come, you know, free, does yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. In our predictions, I think most of us said Peru would be the great surprise of the Copa yeah. America, but no one actually <laughs> I expected it would be I, I that like semi-finals, surprise. you know, yeah. this is it, but to beat Chile 3-0, Jesus, I mean, that's, yeah. that's peace volumes. Uh, the Chile coach Ronaldo Rueda, is that right? Ronaldo Rueda, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's not get too technical. <laughs> <laughs> he said, maybe we were thinking about playing the final without having solved the semi-final. Oh, I think that was the case where they sort of looking at did, did, they, did they take Peru for granted and they just got used of being in the final maybe. I think it's they just, they just funny anecdote about that I'll tell later uh, there was a I don't know there was an arrogance really I think it was more of a matter of not 
fully prepping for this one, maybe not fully understanding. Peru changed a little bit, the a little couple things the last game clicked, and there were really subtle changes. But they ended up working. Yotun, when he came in the quarterfinals, like he was fantastic. Like mm. it was a good solid what 25 minutes, maybe 20 minutes of him playing, and he was all over the place and in a good sense. Uh, he like, Gareca saw that he switched things around. Rueda didn't care to bother, so yeah, I like him apples. <laughs> Uh, do you think this is the end of Chile's golden generation? Yeah, it's over. Yeah. It's over because... Quote-unquote uh, golden generation, I guess. It's yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, they went to Copa Américas for the first time ever. So, like, they yeah. were back-to-back champions for the first time since, I think, Argentina in the 90s or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the point being that it's it, it's a really big achievement what they've done. And it's uh, it's the best Chile's ever been, ever. Alexis is definitely on his way out. Vidal is injured more now than he isn't. Uh, Edu Vargas has gone from this great... Chilean striker to you know still arguably a really good one but not what he used to be mm. it was but always talking about penalty wasn't it yeah they tried to Panenka his way through it and nah he don't do that it's he just caught it <laughs> yeah he literally no this is not cool uh, and uh, there's that whole thing like there's this feeling the team is aged and rusted out Isla's mm-hmm. not going to be around that longer is he I mean Gary Medel He's also old. I mean, you go name by name and you start realizing, yeah, it's done. They, they'll be around for the half of the qualifiers maybe, but the new team is what's really worrying, that it's not up to par as they expected it to be. They thought the transition was going to be a lot smoother, and it ended up being a lot more what happened with Germany, where like the old guard stayed a bit longer than they should have, mm-hmm. and the new kids weren't brought up in time, and lo and behold, you know, fiasco. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you must be feeling pretty confident about the final on Sunday, Natalia. 5-0 win over Peru in the group stage already for Brazil. I am, but in my case, that's not really a good sign oh, in my yeah. experience. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm confident, but I think it's not going to be an easy game. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a 5-0 again. It's definitely not. Mm-hmm. It's a final. Things are going to be way different. Paulo Guerrero, the Peru captain, is already talking about disrespect. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, yeah, that's what's his theme like because he's really, that's the thing with him he's, he's a really good player on the pitch but off the pitch he's amazing at selling us selling like a, like a narrative kind that of that exists kind of. only in his head like, exactly but I it's amazing I love disrespect him I love but, him. It's, but it's amazing like you know but I think he has a point of course he has a point I mean he, he, he kind of overreacted there but he definitely has a point that's true especially yeah. after Brazil won the, the previous game 5-0 I, I can see that happening as a Brazilian. I can definitely yeah, see that happening. Maybe, yeah. Well. So he has a point, but yeah, it's definitely too much. <laughs> yeah, it's over the top, but no. If it works, it works. Can I trouble you for a quick prediction? Oh, Disrespectful Brazil. or otherwise? No. <laughs> Brazil, 2-1 maybe, 1-0. 2-0 if it's like really lopsided. No, it won't be worse than that, mm. I think. I'll go Brazil 2-1. 2-1. Solid to one. Interesting. Uh, we've also got the Gold Cup final on Sunday. That one there, yeah. Uh, USA it's been a good week for the US. Mexico. Yeah, it's yeah. two finals. It's not bad for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and the sport they're usually that good at. Well, female football they've been great for, but you know, yeah. not the male kind of that much for a while. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, the first time they'll meet in a final in eight years, which you know speaks volumes of the competitivity within Gold Cup mm-hmm. in of itself, which has been a huge part of the theme in the Cup. But uh, yeah, uh, having said all that, Mexico did start struggling for the first time in the Gold Cup. It's always been sort of like they're dominant. Mm-hmm. Put it this way, they would send the under-23 Mexican team to Copa America, so they would guarantee a really good roster in Gold Cup and just win that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this time they struggled a bit with against Haiti for the, in the semifinals. They've struggled throughout the whole thing. Cuauhtémoc Blanco, the you know mythical uh, Mexican striker, came out saying like, "Well, yeah, you know, but they're not playing well. Like we're winning, but because we're just better players, but not because mm-hmm. we're playing better." 
But you know, then again, Tata Martino has been there for what under a year, maybe. So mm-hmm. give it a while. Uh, on the other hand, US is kind of well was keen on making this a big tournament on their end because well, the whole not going to the World Cup fiasco mm-hmm. stung a bit because the generation well, admittedly, is a lot better than you know finishing fifth or fourth in, in Concacaf qualifiers, is it? Mm-hmm. So you know, um, they had that sort of like revenge motif. Pulisic has been great the whole tournament; like mm-hmm. he's been a key decision maker in the team. I think honestly that they're actually going to go toe to toe for this one uh, and. It's sort of like a revenge also from that last final, uh, 2008, because Mexico turned the game around, ended up winning it 4-2, being down 2-1. Um, and uh, like, there's a couple of like, you know, mo- like magical moments, like a great goal narrated came out of that game. Gildo Santos kind of like, turned into like, a proper mm-hmm. national icon during that match. So, you know, a lot has happened since, but definitely that's part of the, of the whole revenge that uh, you know, Americans are kind of being working on. So. Mm. Interesting to see how they're going to celebrate, though. The teacup is one thing, but we're going to do down a tequila. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fold a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Just pull out a poncho where the thing. Well, before we go today, um, we're going to talk a bit about the summer transfer window because that, obviously that's in full swing at the moment. It's yeah. well and truly silly season. We'll just sort of run through some of the, the names that uh, could be on the move or some people that have already moved uh, in the past week or two. Uh, so Neymar, what's happening with Neymar, do we think? Is he going to go back to Barcelona? or? Well, you see the cover stories in Sport Mundo Deportivo and usually that's a really big telltale sign of how the mood is within the team and the fan base and it's all out Neymar. Like forget Griezmann, let's go for the Brazilian, let's stick to him. He was good for us. We already know he's good. Uh, he's not happy at PSG. So the it's you know it feels like Griezmann's kind of like in a lame duck situation now where he used mm-hmm. to like he was a guaranteed transfer and now he's like what's going to happen? Am yeah. I going to stay in a club that hate me now? Um, you know, well, there's but, been some talk in recent days about Griezmann, hasn't there, that he technically sort of signed for Barcelona in March. Is that right? Yeah. There was, was, there was like an, a verbal agreement yeah. or something like is, that. Yeah, but that's a very grey area. And that's what Atletico's president was keen on pointing out recently. He said if they sign in March, Barca's in trouble because uh-huh. that's illegal. That's that's what FIFA considers poaching, which is yeah. approaching a player who has more than six months left in his contract to not renew. They consider that um, six months is kind of arbitrary, but the whole point of the, of that is that it's influencing the decision making of a player, mm-hmm. which should be independent they consider yeah. fair enough but if that happens then Atletico has a good case to go to court and you know get as much money out of Barcelona as possible and maybe mm-hmm. just keep Griezmann so yeah uh, and I saw something else today that wasn't there a sort of window for Griezmann, Griezmann's release clause that has now passed and they were saying that Barcelona might have to pay up to 200 million yeah where for it dropped to uh, was it 120 yeah it went from yeah. Yes. The, yeah the window was if I'm getting it right because this he renewed with a promise that he would keep a 200 million euro clause for one year as of the next season which started July the 1st mm-hmm. it would drop to 120 which On is Monday, the pr- this Monday. exactly so the whole the whole point was um, yeah like they were just waiting for July the 1st to roll in mm-hmm. have the new season come in have that clause executed and that's that but here we are on the fifth, and uh, still waiting, aren't we? Yeah. So yeah, gives you an idea. I mean, it'd be quite sure. funny if he got left in limbo, wouldn't it? You know. <laughs> I suppose it would. Serves yeah. Right, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be so dramatic because first he had that movie <laughs> yeah. to announce he would say non-decision. and then he was like, yeah, after another season, okay, I'm leaving, and basically it was clear that he was going, he was going to Barca, yeah. and I was like, yeah, no. Mm. He's burned that bridge too. Like, for me, one shame on you, but you know, you can't do that twice to the same team, can yeah. you? It's, it's 
quite hard to like someone who has a documentary about them on Netflix that's called The Making of a Legend or something, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. or you know, dresses up in blackface for yeah. to represent the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. This is the guy we're talking about. So <laughs> I mean, it seems hard to imagine that Barcelona could afford Griezmann and Neymar. They're to trying to get rid of Coutinho, but they're not going to get 150 million for him, are they? I don't think they would have to swap the team. Like they would have to literally sell Dembele to Bayern, which is the latest talk. God forbid that happening. Um, loan out Coutinho a couple of years with a promise of payment or some sort, and release like 10 other players. Mm-hmm. Like they've barely made. I think it's what, like 80 million from all the sales they've made so far, which is they, where they've been plenty and they haven't been you know small. Like you need you're selling your B line basically, so mm-hmm. you still kind of have to you know have 22 players at some point. Yeah. Um, so I. I don't know they would have to like really sell like one of the other um sorry other Dembele and or Coutinho yeah really like loan the other out just to be able to play you know Neymar <laughs> yeah. and Griezmann and yeah. Messi and Suarez and 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 yeah. but you have like Malcolm and you have like Malcolm too so you're sitting summer. there on 60 million and they're yeah. trying to load him off but no one wants to buy him because yeah because yeah, he's been benched the whole season no yeah. surprise yeah. so I don't know they, they've created a situation that has come into what is what they didn't want it to come which was the, the whole sporting division sporting management and everything being fired mm-hmm. uh, and now the president kind of took over the vice presidency and there's this huge power struggle within uh, it's insane what like Pep Segura who's really close to the club but not really like advisor kind of mm-hmm. thing he's also like considered for the job but also considered being like fully like le- le- released from his duty so mm-hmm. it, it's really really chaotic right now um, what's happening there because well, yeah, they're starting to realize what everybody else is realizing, which was, you know, the transfer policy made no sense the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to take its toll, I think. It's going to be an interesting one over there. So for keep sure, an eye yeah. out for Barca, definitely. Uh, if Griezmann does end up staying at Atletico, he's not going to be wearing the number seven shirt anymore because they've given that to Joao Felix. That's a very... Joao Felix. Yeah, Joao Felix. <laughs> That's a bold statement. It's good job we've got someone here who can yeah. pronounce Joao <laughs> Felix. Uh, good signing for, for them, do we think? <sighs> I think it's still a bit tricky. He has definitely done a nice season with Benfica. He had that one amazing game, but it was one amazing game. Mm. And I think it's just crazy to pay that much for a player. Dempsey is still building, still developing. Mm. Was it 126 million euros in the end? Yeah. 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 So it's it's definitely a good bet for the future, I would say. But as an immediate replacement to Griezmann, I think it's still a bit tricky. Well, let's see. Yeah, he's got a pretty freakish record in Portugal last year, wasn't oh, he? Yeah. He did score quite a lot of goals and stuff. So, I mean, that's the thing nowadays. If you want to, you know, there's been talk of him maybe being the next sort of Portuguese talent to rival Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, you've got to sort of gamble on these players and, and pay 100 yeah. million euro for someone like that in the hope that it might pay off two or three years down the line. Yeah. So And not get injured. I mean, that, yeah, that's of course, the gambling yeah. part. Of it. I mean, he could end up being, you know, a flop the next exactly. Freddie Agu or Sanchez. something. Yeah, Sanchez well, had an amazing exactly, Euro Cup. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. He had, like, it was a 70 million deal in the end. Uh, fortunately, he sucked. So, you know, it was only 45 in the end. But, uh, like, yeah, it was a huge investment in this raw talent that had an amazing tournament because it was a really good one. And he's been loaned off, what, twice? He's mm-hmm. about to be sold after three seasons, and that's his career, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. sucks for him. I mean, for all people, he's the one that lost the most because he, they dangled him a, a really you know, enticing and very, very promising contract, and the pressure just destroyed his career. Yeah. Had he stayed at a smaller club or chosen a different team, maybe, I don't know, we would see, we'll be talking about Rato Sanchez the same way we talk about, I don't know, Diago Alcantara and Bayern to be like mm-hmm. an equivalent of what he ought have been if he had you know, prospered and flourished. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a very ethically even uh, gray area the mm. whole transfer 
like betting 100 million on a, on a 19 year old yeah and Benfica are incredible at selling yeah. players by the way yeah oh yeah they make so it's much money so good right. at it. yeah well, they're even getting 20 million for the yardage deal look at that one yeah yeah uh, talk to me about Rodri has Pep Guardiola finally found the reincarnation of Sergio Busquets? You talk to him about Roger. I don't talk about him anymore. You poach them. Well, not really. Like, you guys, <laughs> like, he ended up being no, convinced be, for City. Be careful with that one, Daddy. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't want to accuse City of that. No, no, no. Uh, like, he ended up choosing City. Uh, amazing signing. I think he's he's definitely, he was the biggest promise Atletico had in the midfield mm-hmm. by a mile. Um, versatile, quick, clever as hell. Like he's, his English is incredible, and he's really good. Yeah. He's he speaks English. better English than me. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but, uh, the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, like he's uh, like a really solid round player, really decent, you know, person like in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, well, he took his time. Like it was a really what three, four weeks maybe of, of decision that, yeah. making. Yeah. 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 Frustrating for Atletico, frustrating for everybody involved. Obviously, he chose City, I think, more for the prospect of being coached uh, under Pep Guardiola and playing in the Premier League than, you know, sticking to Niko Kovac and the Bundesliga. So it's, it wasn't as promising to go for Bayern to Man City, and it's sort of like a breaking point, I guess, mm-hmm. for Bayern as a club in general. Uh, but yeah, for him, it's, it's a great move, definitely. Yeah. Another Premier League club we've bought a uh, very good midfielder this week, it's Tangi and Dombele at Spurs. Mm-hmm. You think he's uh, going to be the... Oh, well, the the, the one that keeps coming up, I keep seeing people saying the same quote about him over and over is he's Musa Sizoko with a good first touch. I'm like, Musa Sizoko never struck me as having that bad a first no, touch, so I really can't <laughs> wait to see how good this guy yeah, uh, yeah. This guy is in the ball. I haven't seen like a lot of them. I've seen him when Leon have played mm. European games. He, and he, he is, yeah, yeah, like he is a standout. He does seem. You know that kind of player that's just missing in modern football now. Just pure box to box, as in he's he can be back defending. Ten seconds later, he's on the edge of the other box, getting on the end of a pass, getting a shot away. So he looks like that kind of rare talent that we don't see so much of that maybe we did 15 years ago or mm-hmm. so. So I'm excited to to see him. No pressure as well at Spurs record signing. The, well, yeah, but it's a bit of a steal, I think. Sixty-two million pounds, was it, so, or something? Yeah, and, They've done this, yeah. same as the Rodri deal. That that seems like like a steal to me as mm. well. You'll probably look back on that three or four years and go, "Well, mm. they've they've fleeced them there." But yeah, yeah. So it goes, isn't it? Uh, what, what do you think about Buffon going back to Juventus? It's a little bit of a strange one, isn't it? I wasn't expecting that at all. Forty-one years old. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure. Like, Juve is also very, really keen on doing the whole Bayern Madrid thing of like incorporating their old guard into like new roles. Mm-hmm. Nedved was a really good example yeah. of what they did once you know he retired. Um, Del Piero not so much, but um, yeah, they kind of just shunned him out the yeah, door. Yeah, I was about to say, but yeah, definitely, I think it has to do with the fact that Buffon sees himself, and you can tell that he sees himself as something more than just a goalkeeper down the line. I think it's a move more of just like guaranteeing a good, you know transition in the goalkeeping like Szczesny's been great but they need a good second goalkeeper and they're kind of I imagine building something with that and with him and just kind of working way up the echelons and, and director roles or something like that mm-hmm. maybe he'll coach just I don't know desperately trying to win the Champions League <laughs> I think he went to PSG had one season there thought that's an interesting yeah. approach actually yeah that's not I, thought that's that. what I thought he was going to go to Barcelona the Champions League going to PSG yeah I know yeah exactly and then he went not for really a year and he realised oh I'm not going to win I it done? here yeah. I need to get out of here <laughs> then I thought when Barcelona were getting rid of Silas and I thought, oh, this this could be a gore. But then, yeah, we saw how they collapsed against yeah. Liverpool. So Juve may actually be his best chance. 
He's got will Ronaldo. he play? Will he play that? Oh, I don't think he cares. I yeah. think he just wants to get his hands on the medal at this. Well, stage. I had to laugh today. I saw someone um, <laughs> shared something at work today. Um, Marko Arnautovic, who is uh, itching to leave West Ham for uh, the Champions yes. Super League again today. Yes. He has on his boots, like an inscription on his boots, 2010 Champions League winner when he was at Inter. He played no games, scored no goals, he made no contribution to the Champions League whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And yeah, he's, he's was it prides. Ryan Brewster as well on social Rhea media Brewster, this yeah, week? Yeah. Was with his his photo, yeah. or yeah, he's Liverpool, getting his hair cut with a medal yeah, around yeah. his neck. <laughs> you know, if, if I had one, I, maybe I'd be the same. <laughs> uh, can you pronounce the name of Celtic's new signing? Um, Luca Connell. <laughs> Not that one. Christopher Julien. <laughs> Not that one either. Oh. Bolly, Bolingoli, and Bombo. It's not a bad effort, is it? Excellent. <laughs> Bit better than I could do. I'm just going to call him BBM, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> or Big Bolly. Or. <laughs> Sadly, I fear though that it is a it is a sign of things to come. Oh really? But, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, you probably don't spend three million on a left back unless you're replacing a left back. Oh yeah. Oh, is yeah. going to leave? Is he going to go to Arsenal? Do you think? I don't think so, and I've said all along I don't think so. But signing, we don't usually spend three million on a guy as backup. You know, you could have promoted somebody from the mm. youth team to, to play second fiddle so I'm a little more worried now than I was but I'm still going to say that he stays good luck with that yeah <laughs> I know yeah, going to go with the good, the good point uh, it's not going to go especially having two Arsenal fans in the office of course as well I'm not, <laughs> not going to hear hear the end of it I mean, so. it was bold of you to bring the scarf with the tyranny face on it so uh, I'll no. give you that stupid I would say Danny stupid <laughs> Uh, just a quick word on uh, Nevin Subotic, who's rocked up at one of our local teams oh, here in God. Berlin, <laughs> Union Berlin. How is he still only 30 years old? Yeah. He's 30 years old for about 10 years. I'm I feel sure. like I've known him my whole life. Yeah, like, exactly, he's yeah. been forever here. And he's always been playing for Dortmund. <laughs> That's how I feel. What bothered me the most about him, about the announcement, was it was the same day Robin retired. You know, they've had major beef their whole career. Oh, really? You can't even give him that. Like, no, I'm going to announce my signing to Berlin back to Germany. Dude, you're gone now. This is my turn. Screw you, man. Like, welcome to Berlin. But yeah, expect not not niceties. <laughs> not from us at least. Not at least, yeah. I like him. And the, uh, the big news this week is not really a transfer, but Frank Lampard is back at Chelsea as manager. How the hell has he managed that? Upset <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of the season, eh? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just it's the transfer ban. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he would have got the job unless that was in place. I think an Allegri, who's like been learning English for years and wants to test himself in the Premier League, he might have got it. Other candidates. And it's probably working out well for him that they do have the transfer ban, so he's going to probably be caught a lot more slack mm. than than maybe other guys. That I think he's just sort of there in. to mind the shop until yeah, the yeah, players yeah. again. Bringing the guy yeah, from yeah. home to not have like to substitute open. teacher. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I am slightly <laughs> surprised though with all the welcome home Frank, the legend return. It's almost mm. as if that spell at Man City. I'm not saying that like, everyone turned on him, but there was like a section of the fans when he joined Man oh, City yeah, yeah. that were a bit like, oh, yeah. dead to me now, Frank. Yeah. But yeah. I think he, he'll do all right. I think he'll do okay. Yeah. I don't think he'll pull up any trees. I think Champions League might be tough as well, won't it? With such a young squad, not able to kind of reinforce mm. it and you'll be playing on a lot of fronts. I think he'll do okay, but yeah, like you said, 
mind in the shop maybe until yeah. somebody does become available yep well I've been minding the shop on this podcast today and uh, it's time to, to go now so uh, tune in next week for uh, Ian McCourt we'll be back to talk about the Women's World Cup final the Copa America final all that stuff um, thank you to Natalia Daniel and Padraig for joining me today thank you to you for listening at home and we'll see you next time <laughs>